Well, have you ever been at the airport and seen someone famous uh, or maybe gone to a function in the city and some celebrity was there as well, you know, and everyone's gawking, some people are having their photo taken, maybe Hugh Jackman's in town and he's promoting his latest movie. Uh, For me, it was the time when I took one of my kids to a school function in Sydney and over morning tea, I literally bumped into, wait for it, none other than the former New South Wales Premier, Nick Greiner. Brush with fame. It's pretty heady stuff. Well, last week we were in the giddy heights of keeping company with heroes because we're surrounded by the likes of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and David and Christ himself. People who persevered in their faith in God because they knew of the glorious future that God has in store. Hebrews 11 was focusing on the light at the end of the tunnel. And spurring us on with others who have gone before us so that we'll persevere in our faith in God for the certain hope of eternal life. Because of the Lord Jesus, that he's already died and risen for our sins and so we're to fix our eyes on him for only he can bring us into eternal life. Well, if last week was focusing on the light at the end of the tunnel, this week is focusing on the darkness inside the tunnel. Our verses this morning have a very different feel. Uh, You would have noticed that as you read the passage during the week. This week, it's all about our hardships, the nitty-gritty of what our faith has to persevere through. And the writer wants us to grow in our understanding of our hardships. He wants us to know what they tell us about God. He wants us to know how our hardships fit into the plans of God for keeping our faith in him. He wants us to know how we're meant to approach our hardships and what we're meant to do with them. First thing the writer wants us to understand about our hardships is that they are part of our struggle against sin. Because we live in this world, this side of Christ's appearing, we remain in a sinful world and we're in our sinful bodies. And so to keep our faith in God in the here and now, we're going to have to struggle against sin. Like we saw last week in verse 1 of chapter 12, we're to be throwing off the sin that so easily entangles. We're to be casting it aside, doing whatever it takes, going through whatever it takes to remove sin out of our lives so that we keep our faith in God. And the writer continues in this vein as we pick it up where we left off. Look at it there at verse 4. In your struggle against sin... You've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It's a strong verse, isn't it? I'm glad you've been fighting against sin, but don't complain about how hard the fight is because you haven't yet died for it. In other words, how high a price do you put on keeping your faith in God? What are you willing to go through to throw off the sin that so easily entangles? It's like seeing your doctor about getting a cancer removed from your body. And your doctor says, well, they can take it out, but it'll mean surgery and a really painful recovery. But if you go through with it, you'll live. If you don't, you won't. Now, what do you do? Well, you really want to live. And so you go through whatever it takes to remove that cancer, and we ought to have the same ruthlessness when it comes to removing sin in our lives. 
We really want to persevere in our faith. We really want to reach the finish line of eternal life. And so we go through whatever it takes to remove the sin that can entangle us. And the great news of our verses this morning is that God is at work to do this in our lives. God is intentionally working in us to see sin stripped away from us. But like the doctor removing that cancer... It's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. What we find from verse 5 is that in order to remove sin out of our lives, God lovingly disciplines us. And he lovingly disciplines us by giving us hardships. Verse 4 again, verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you've forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son... Do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Our hardships are God's loving discipline of us. He's our father treating us as sons. And so he disciplines us. What does it mean there by discipline? You know, discipline can be a negative word these days. So, you know, is God's discipline like the angry army general who inflicts pain on his soldiers in order to whip them into shape? Now, thankfully, it's not that. No, it's discipline in the sense of being guided and corrected. Later in verse 11, we'll read of being trained by God's discipline. In verses 5 to 7 that we just read, God is pictured as our loving father who disciplines his children. Now that'll mean correction and rebuke. It'll mean bringing about change in our lives as God works to strip away our sinful habits. It's not going to be easy. Discipline never is. But behind it all is God as our loving heavenly father, pulling us up when we're wrong, and shaping us through all the circumstances of life to bring us up in his ways. Now, when a parent disciplines their child, there's any number of strategies they can use, isn't there? You know, they can give them a smack, they can send them to their room, uh, they can take away their pocket money, they can send them to bed early, they can double their chores. There's any number of things we can use to discipline our children. And as children of our Heavenly Father, he uses hardships to discipline us. Verse 7 again, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Our hardships are God's loving discipline. Now that can be a hard truth to wrap our head and our hearts around, can't it? Especially when we're in the middle of hardships. So we need to tread carefully here. And let me try and acknowledge some of our difficulties as we come to terms with this word from God. Because for some of us, thinking of God as a loving father who disciplines us just brings up painful memories of our own earthly dads. You know, your dad was a tyrant who hardly showed any love at all. And so the last thing you want to do is think of God as your father. And if this is you, then the pain and the disappointment that you feel is all too real. And that's very sad. 
But part of the reason that you're in pain and disappointed is because you know that your dad wasn't what he was meant to be. He was meant to love, to protect and nurture you. That's what a dad's meant to be. And that's exactly what God is as our father. Poor human fathers don't change that God is the perfect father. Another thing that might be hard about what we're reading is that we're being told very clearly that God stands behind our hardships. In some sense, our hardships come from God. He's in control of them. Sometimes you'll hear Christians say things like, you know, things are going so well that God's obviously in it. So, you know, my my moving house or my kids' education or my job promotion or whatever it is, it's going so well that God's obviously in it. And, And that may be true. But when things go badly and we don't speak of God being involved in those things, then we can give the impression that God's only in the good things of our lives, but he's not in the bad things. And so we reduce God to being the God of the things we like and enjoy, but we take him out of the picture when things go bad. That's not what we're seeing here in Hebrews 12. God's not a part-time God. He doesn't clock on for the good stuff and then sign off for the day and while he's gone, bad stuff happens. If God's only in control of the good things, well, does that mean the bad things are out of his control? And if that's true, well, then who is in control of the bad stuff? And will God be able to overcome them? Will God win? Can God win? No, the Bible's got a much bigger picture of God, that he's in control of all things. In some sense, he even stands behind our hardships. And the writer to the Hebrews doesn't see these truths as uncomfortable. In verse 5, he describes them as a word of encouragement. And that's because even in the hard things, God's still in control. Our hardships don't mean that, you know, God's suddenly taken his hand off the wheel. Our hardships are how God disciplines us in love. That's what our hardships mean. We're loved by God our Father. We're being treated as his children. And so what should our attitude be to our hardships? If they're examples of God's loving discipline, how he trains and corrects us, how are we to approach them? Well, from verse 7, we're to endure them. We're to submit to God's discipline. That's what our attitude should be towards our hardships. Verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating your sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our attitude to our father's discipline is to be one of submission. We acknowledge our hardships as instruments in our father's hands and so we endure them. We don't use our hardships as an excuse to resent God or to accuse him of failing to love us or as an opportunity to whinge or an opportunity to get revenge or an excuse to become embittered or to wallow in self-centeredness as you moan over your situation. That's not to be our attitude towards hardship. 
You know, we're not to respond like a petulant child who's not getting their way. You know, they've been sent to their room, they slam the door, they kick their bags and they throw their toys. No, we submit to God and endure hardship as discipline. We take what's been given, we accept the correction, we learn from it, we submit to our Heavenly Father and endure hardships as discipline. Because God uses our hardships to train us. That's what they're for. He lovingly disciplines us to correct and guide us. He uses our hardships to train us in righteousness. That's what they're for. God's using them for our good. Verse 10. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is never fun. Hardships are, by definition, hard. And chat to just about anyone in this room and they'll tell you. There's plenty of things going on in plenty of people's lives here in our own church family, and it's painful. But second half of verse 11, later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. God's using our hardships to train us in righteousness, to strip away our sin and make us more like Christ so that we'll be just like Jesus and keep our faith in God no matter what. That's what God is using our hardships for. So think of something hard that's going on in your life right now. Shouldn't be too difficult. Here's the thing. The most important thing about your hardship is not that it goes away. It's not that your life would become easy. No, the most important thing about your hardship is whether or not you're being trained in righteousness through it. Now, this is very countercultural. Our culture places a high price on happiness, you know, on being safe and secure and being personally fulfilled and free to do what we want. Our culture is all about us, me, being happy. But that's not God's value system. According to God, there are far more, there are things far more valuable than your happiness or your safety or your personal comfort. God doesn't place a high price on those things, He places a high price on holiness. And righteousness, and he loves us enough to pursue those things. He loves us enough to not leave us in our happiness and selfishness. He loves us enough to tear down our tiny little kingdoms in order to deflate our pride. He loves us enough to make our lives hard so that we'll remember we're not in control and so that we'll depend on him more. He loves us enough to want the best things in our lives. Righteousness, becoming more like Christ, keeping our faith in him. This is what God is actively working towards in our lives. And one way he's doing that is by lovingly disciplining us through hardships to train us in righteousness. And so we're to use our hardships to train ourselves in being made more like Christ. 
And so whatever hardship you're in at the moment, or the next time hardship comes your way, what will you use it for? Because you can use hardship to practice the art of complaining. You can use hardship to become an expert in self-pity. You can sharpen your skills in bitterness. You can fan into flame your desires for revenge. You can use your problems in life as an excuse to get lazy towards God, even drift away from Jesus. But that would be to waste your hardships. That would be to use them for exactly the opposite of their intention. Instead, we're to use our hardships to train in righteousness. Now, I'm not wanting to minimise the hardships that any of you are going through, because hardships hurt. The difficulties and problems that we face can be mind-numbing, draining and overwhelming. But the word of encouragement that we have from God this morning is that he's still in control. He's lovingly disciplining us, guiding and correcting us. And so we're to work with our Father and use our hardships to be trained in righteousness. So maybe right now your hardship is reducing your bank balance. It's costing you financially. Then use your hardship to refocus your appreciation for the things of Christ so that you can be content in him. Maybe your hardship is to do with failing health, chronic or ongoing illness. Then use your hardship to long for the new creation where sin and sickness and pain and death are no more. Maybe your hardship is making you spend more and more time serving someone. And so you have less and less time for you because you're looking after someone else. Then use your hardship to grow in thanksgiving that Christ didn't even stop at death to serve you. Maybe your hardship is to do with relationship breakdown. There's troubles at work or in your marriage or in your family. Maybe you've been deeply hurt, or you've hurt someone, or both. Then use your hardship to remember the complete forgiveness of God for your sins. And so grow in your willingness to forgive others and to ask for forgiveness where needed. Maybe your hardship is your mental health. You suffer from depression or anxiety or And your darkness, it just makes it really hard to do anything. Then use your hardship to praise God that being one of his children doesn't depend on you being functional. Use your hardship to grow in your resting in God's grace. Maybe your hardship is to do with the the loss of loved ones. And the hole in your heart and the the grief that you feel, regardless of how long it's been, it's all too real and too raw. Let me encourage you to use your sadness to sharpen your conviction in the truth of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. That death is not the end. Christ's tomb was empty. 
And so renew your hope in God that eternal life is real. Whatever hardship you're going through, use it to be trained in righteousness by fixing your eyes on Jesus like we saw last week. Don't fix your eyes on your troubles and your difficulties. Fix your eyes on Jesus and grow to be just like him. Even in your hardships, especially in your hardships because that's what they're for. Now, this isn't the easiest thing for us to hear, is it? It'd be a lot easier for us to hear, you know, you become one of God's people and he'll just take all your troubles away. That'd be easy. And the writer to the Hebrews, he knows that these truths are hard to hear. And so he finishes this section by calling on us to steel ourselves for the road ahead. Our hardships are to train us in righteousness. And so, look at verse 12. Therefore... Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. It's a strange little ending to the section. I think it's picking up on the imagery of running the race of faith in God that we saw back in verse 1 last week. And so essentially what he's saying is stay in the race. Strengthen your arms and your knees. Make level paths. Keep running, in other words. Through the hardships, keep your faith in God. Trust him as he disciplines you through hardships. Submit to him and use your troubles to be trained in righteousness. This is how we endure hardship as discipline. If I can return to the imagery of the tunnel from right at the start. The light at the end of the tunnel is the certain hope of eternal life with Christ and his people. Christ died for us to take us there. That's where we're headed. But here and now we're in the middle of the tunnel. And these verses acknowledge that the tunnel can be dark. And it can be hard to keep running. Hardships are all too real and painful. But we endure them by being trained by them. And as I said before, I'm not wanting to minimise the hurt that people feel. The hardships that some of us have gone through and are going through, they hurt so much. And there'll be more to come. And when they do, let's remember that God's in it. He loves us. He's treating us as his children. He's disciplining us. And so let's use our hardships for what they're intended. To be trained in righteousness. Enduring hardship as discipline, because in love, in love, God's treating us as his children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for us, your precious children, where we need strength, please provide it. Where we need endurance, please provide it. Where we need faith, please provide it. Where we need eyes to see the bigger picture, give us that picture, Father. Whatever we need, please, in our hardships and in our troubles. We want to be those that keep our faith in you. We want to fix our eyes on Jesus. And Heavenly Father, it is hard. Please help us. Amen.